Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome into the New Orleans Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek a podcast dedicated to everything you need to know about the squad. Hear from those who cover the NBA on a daily basis. Dallas, 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 Mavericks, Dallas, Mavericks. <laughs> the New Orleans Pelicans podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Pelicans podcast on this Friday, February the 3rd. Uh, I am Joe Cardosi, joined as always by Mr. Jim Eichenhofer. Oh, goodness, this podcast is presented by SeatGeek. Can you tell that I'm trying to find my energy, Jim? I am trying to, I'm trying to shake my pom-pom still, uh, but my wrist is getting so tired at this point. Yeah, man. I mean, I think one of the things that's going to bring some natural energy to the table is a Saturday primetime game against the Lakers. We'll get into that more later in the show, but that's what I'm kind of pinning my hopes on in terms of not only just the uh, the spark that we need, but also that the Pelicans need. I think the atmosphere is going to be incredible tomorrow, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's rough right now. This is the longest losing streak they've had in I don't know how long. It's tough times at the moment. Uh, the Dallas game was frustrating from a lot of different aspects as well, so not sure what else to uh, to say in terms of. I mean, they said it a million times. They got to start winning games. I'm looking at Sports Center today. I kept seeing a bunch of stuff about Michael Jordan being the goat uh, and all this stuff. I actually Googled uh, "Is Michael Jordan dead?" because I kept seeing all this Michael Jordan stuff. Turns out it's because it's two three. 2023. Did you know that was a thing until I, just now? I heard yesterday someone bring up that two three twenty three was going to be Michael Jordan Day. I don't know how much time someone spent in a room coming up with this idea, yeah, but a lot apparently, of politic and apparently, apparently it's a thing. It yeah, apparently it's a thing. So I, I was guess. worried about him. I literally was like, "What happened to Michael Jordan? Yeah, uh, who still is the goat uh, to to me? I, I gotta say, me too. But but yeah, I was I was uh, concerned today. But but you know what? He's doing fine. 
I think we will be fine too, Jim. Um, I still am hanging on to the hope that, you know, after All-Star break, we're, we're going to take a turn. We're going to have our guys back. And the team is going to be fully cemented. After the trade deadline, everyone who's going to be here knows they're here. This is what we're doing. Uh, let's move forward. But, uh, you know, that game uh, for Dallas, it, it ended and started weird. It was just bookend weird. Uh, the way the team had to get there, uh, icy runways and whatnot, uh, ended up having a fly-in same day and play that same day. Josh Hart, uh, you know, said that's crazy. His knees would fall off <laughs> if he had to play the same that. day. Yeah, I mean, not the most ideal circumstances. Um, team gets down by 30-plus in the first half. Ooh. I'm just kind of at the point where not only just with the travel stuff but also with – the controversy that happened at the end of the game. This might be a, a an unusual analogy, but Joe, do you remember when the Phoenix Suns were here and Zion had the dunk at the end of the game that they made a massive federal case out of? Yes, yes. So to well, me, they sick the dogs on us. When that happened, I thought it was Phoenix kind of trying to say, "Hey guys, look over here. Don't look at the fact that we lost this game." Right. And and in in some ways to some extent, I feel a little bit of the same way about the Pelicans that, you know, you could use the travel thing as an excuse. You could blame the refereeing at the end of the game last night. And they made mistakes and admitted they made mistakes. But at the same time, I think I'm more about looking in the mirror right now and saying, what can we do that we can control that can get things back on the on the right track? Now, with all that said, very frustrating the way that the last 15 seconds ended Um Pelicans are down by three. Brandon Ingram deflects. Come down to that. But why do we always sure. have to have a quarter where we're digging a giant hole? Yeah. We then have to yeah. spend the entire game climbing out of. Right. It's and so that, frustrating. To that point, any game you get down by thirty, you can't expect to win. No. I mean, it would have been. It, we would have stolen that one. That would have yeah. been absolute thievery. It would have been literally the biggest comeback in franchise history. I think twenty six or twenty seven is the most points. Yeah. They've ever come back to win a game behind from. So. Um, you you can't you can't have that happen and be like yeah we should have won the game yeah. but in in terms of the final few seconds I'm sure people want to want us to get into that I even hear, want, yeah I didn't even want to read the that. reports because I, I as I did but uh, I didn't even want to read them I saw them popping up I saw the the mm-hmm. writers starting to to retweet it and I was like oh good I'm glad for that it doesn't change anything right. uh, so it it took a took a little while for me to be able to get myself to focus on it. Yeah, and again, I don't think you can blame – you can't say, oh, they lost the game because the referees blew a couple calls at the end. They did make the mistakes. Like I said, they admitted it. You know, you mentioned the two-minute report or whatever, the statement that they put out. Um, Brandon Ingram deflected the ball back in bounds. He was still in bounds. They should have um, let the play go. The Pelicans had the ball. I think it was deflected to Larry Nance. He had a chance to drop it off to CJ for a three to potentially tie the game. But um, also the wormhole in time opened up. Yeah, they, at the same le- they time. somehow they ran an extra second and a half off the clock as well. But you know what? This I think this got lost a little bit in all of the discussion. And I'm not even sure if I want to get into this because it's complicated. But so Ingram makes a basket to cut the lead to three with 9.4 seconds left. 9.3 seconds left. That means Dallas has eight seconds to get the ball across half court. They had to get the ball across with 1.3. They inbounded. The Pelicans fouled them with 2.4. The Pelicans actually could have let them run another second or so off the clock, gotten an eight-second violation, and gotten the ball back. But amid all of the crazy stuff that happened, I feel like that kind of got lost in the shuffle. So it was 
it was bad that they ran extra time off the clock, but it actually was it, it, it could have potentially helped the Pelicans get a eight second violation. I, I hope I'm not being too confusing right now. I probably am. Yeah, I was about to say the, the answer is B. Uh look, I did not <laughs> study for the ACT. I'm here just on charisma alone. Uh look, we we've got a fun guest today. We got Ben Golliver. Uh, who is a writer for the Washington Post, national NBA writer. Uh, He covers everybody, and of course, uh, he's going to have opinions about the Pelicans. And uh, of course, as we get ready to face uh, LeBron still chasing records, and uh, we want to talk about that as well. So let's holler at Ben Golliver and uh, and see what he has to say about the Pelicans, uh, the Lakers, uh, All-Stars, and much more. Joining us on the Pelicans podcast, Washington Post national NBA writer, Mr. Ben Golliver. Uh, ben, how are you doing? I know you've had a, an interesting schedule as of late. Uh, you, you feeling rested? Oh, I, I'm feeling good, man. You know, obviously this LeBron James uh, scoring chase has taken over the NBA and kind of consumed my life. But I just got down here to New Orleans. I was thinking the last couple of times I was here, um, you know, Zion's debut a couple years ago, which was just an amazing time. Remember how many threes yeah, he hit against San Antonio. And then last year's playoff series uh, against the Suns, which was just an awesome uh, experience in the building and, and seeing New Orleans really come alive for that group. So I feel like it's always a good time. I mean, I'm not a partier. I'm not a Bourbon Street guy by any stretch. Uh, but I always have a good time coming down here. Yeah, you're no Jim Eichenhofer, <laughs> in other words. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> Yeah, I'm disappointed, Ben. I thought we were going to just terrorize the streets tonight. Yeah, but get that, matching that's tattoos. That's okay. Come on. Yeah, maybe next time you come to New Orleans. But no, I think it worked out really well for you that uh, that you know that you were able to get a trip to New Orleans out of this. But I mean, what what's it been like in terms of just following LeBron? And I know that you going a ways back, going maybe more than a decade back, you were one of the first people probably to write about how he had a chance to break Kareem's record someday. Yeah, an OG. I mean, yeah, I mean, what what's it been like what's it been like just following this and just, you know, the perspective you have of just the feat that this is to, for him to be closing in on. Oh, absolutely. I don't know if I'm an OG or just a big dork, but man, I had the spreadsheets <laughs> going probably back in uh, 2011, 2012 when I All OGs eventually at, become uh, big dorks. <laughs> that, that sounds right. Uh when I first started at Sports Illustrated years and years ago, um, you know, it was the, the big talk was, well, LeBron's like the youngest to 5,000, youngest to 10,000. And you started to see how consistent he was. You know, you, you take him from Cleveland, put him in Miami. I mean, he's still scoring at this incredible rate, even when he had all these uh, superstar teammates around him, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. And so it, it first kind of crystallized in my mind, like, wow, he actually might have a chance to, uh, to take this record down. And when I was a kid, I'm sure you guys felt the same way. Kareem's record seemed unbreakable, right? Like all those all-time records, whether it was his scoring record, Wilt Chamberlain's rebound record, John Stockton's assist record, John Stockton's steals record, all of those were like hallowed ground that were never going to be, you know, reached, especially once Carl Malone fell short. It was like, well, if Carl Malone can't do it, the mailman who never misses time, Mm -hmm. uh, who else is going to come along and do it? And sure enough, you know, LeBron's done it through, like, work stoppages, you know, lockouts. He's done it through the the pandemic, the shortened seasons. I mean, uh, one thing after another, he's just kind of kept trucking. He's avoided the serious career-altering injuries that got guys like Karl Malone and and Kobe Bryant. I mean, even Michael Jordan was slowed down by some career-altering injuries as well, and he's just kept going, kept his head down and done it. 
you know, it's going to be a special moment, I think, for basketball historians when he does pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I think one of the most interesting things about it is does it change his reputation among Lakers fans a little bit? Because mm. I think that there was some people when he passed Kobe who, like, weren't happy about that. You know, there's a large contingent yeah. of Lakers fans uh, who prefer Kobe over LeBron seven days out of seven uh, of the week. <laughs> and, you know, obviously Kareem's a Lakers legend as well. LeBron owning this record, you know, that, that reflects well on the Lakers franchise. But uh, are their fans going to give him the full embrace or are they going to give him the golf clap? Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, probably do it at home uh, next week, and we'll see what kind of uh, you know response he gets. Obviously, the ticket prices are huge, but is that going to be met with this full-throated standing ovation, this giant embrace, or is it going to be a, a little bit of a different scene like it was when he passed Kobe? Yeah, Ben, you mentioned how unbreakable Kareem's record seemed. I mean, to me, the fact that he played into his 40s also was something that just seemed so unusual and something that was not going to be replicated and if it was, it was going to be a big guy. It seemed like the guys that played into their late 30s, early 40s were almost always, you know, the power forward types, the center types. They weren't the guys that the quick guards that, you know, once they lose a step, you're, you're not going to be able to play into your 40s. So that part of it, I think, is unique. Um, you mentioned the the golf clap. I think, you know, it's he'd have to break his career high to set the record Saturday. I don't mm-hmm. think it would have been a golf clap from a lot of <laughs> New Orleans fans. Oh, not, no. I'm not sure what it would have been. Talk about full-throated roar. Right. But, uh, but anyways, uh, I, I think we've covered enough LeBron on a, a Pelicans podcast. Yeah, stay with us, Pelicans fans. We <laughs> promise. We I wanted promise to, it gets better. I wanted to shift over to the Pelicans. Obviously, Ben, you cover the whole league, and you have a, a an, an eye on everything. I mean, just what are your overall thoughts about the Pelicans in terms of you know, maybe going into the season, what you thought their potential was, where you thought that they stacked up in the West, and just how you look at them now in the situation that they're in with, obviously, Zion's been out for almost a month now. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about what kind of reception would LeBron get in New Orleans. Well, this is a team that needs a win, right? So I sure. think I expect a lively atmosphere um, on Saturday against the Lakers, and I expect a Pelicans team that always gets up for the Lakers. It doesn't matter where they're playing. Mm to try to snap this losing streak and, you know, maybe give a little bit to LeBron on the way out, right? I mean, that, that seems like the, the character of this Pelicans team, especially under Willie Green over these last couple of years. I mean, obviously, anytime you're on a 10-game losing streak, um, it feels like the sky is falling and, you know, you're never going to be able to win another game and woe yeah. is me and all that kind of stuff. You know, of course, New Orleans has the major extenuating circumstances, not just Zion being out, but, it, you know, Brandon Ingram trying to get right. And, and to me, he hasn't really looked right mm-hmm. uh, since he's come back, at least not completely. I mean, this is a, a guy who is one of the most bankable scorers, you know, from that perimeter position in the league when, when he's got things going. He's a guy who's been an all-star. He's gotten that, uh, you know, recognition in the past. And, you know, he's, to me, kind of their, uh, you know, their leader. And I, I know he's not maybe getting people out of their seats and, and jumping and doing the, the crazy um, celebrations like Zion when he puts down a 360 dunk. But he, to me, he feels like he's got that uh, old head spirit where he rallies people with his presence and people kind of look to him for leadership. And, you know, w- when he's not playing well, that's going to kind of reflect on everybody. So I think, you know, the, the first step before you get Zion back is getting Brandon Ingram back on track. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, would go a long way to curing maybe the blues that people have right now. Uh, but compared to preseason expectations, uh, you know, I came away impressed from their first-round series against the Suns. Obviously, it didn't end the way people in New Orleans wanted, but they showed a lot. Um, a, a bunch of players who were young, who didn't have postseason reputations or resumes at all, 
were able to kind of start that process, show they belong. You know, I'm thinking about Alvarado. I'm thinking about Jones and Trey Murphy, those kinds of guys. You got to get your sea legs in the NBA postseason, and all those guys did. And so I came back expecting them to be, you know, somewhere in that five to eight uh, playoff range. I know some people were a little bit higher on them, saw them as a, a finals team. Uh, I just thought, you know, when you're looking at the number of uh, quality teams in the Western Conference, and then also the fact that Zion was a question mark coming into the season, we didn't know exactly how good he was going to be. I felt like that was kind of a safe place to put him. And, you know, frankly, despite the losing streak, they're only, what, two games back of that, you know, that range. And so that's why I say, you know, it's not all hope isn't lost here. I mean, they still have plenty of time to, to get where, uh, you know, I thought they would be, uh, you know, by the time that the playoffs roll around. You mentioned Zion, you know, obviously he's been out since January 2nd and he, you weren't able to see him when you were here for the playoffs against Phoenix because he missed all of last season. But in the, in the 20 plus games that he's played so far this year, and obviously that yielded him his second all-star appearance. What have you seen from him? I mean, you feel like he's taken another step this year in terms of just getting towards what people envisioned for him. Of course. I mean, coming into the NBA, I was a huge Zion evangelist, man. I, I, I thought everything was possible for him. I envisioned him a little bit more as a two-way player um, where, you know, I was kind of hoping for some of those Draymond Green comparisons on defense to come mm-hmm. true because I thought he really had a big impact um, on the college level defensively. Um, it was a, it's been a transition for him on that side, but offensively he's been better than I expected. And I thought he was going to be, uh, you know, one of the best number one picks we'd seen in like a decade. Right. And, and he's been even more dominant on that end. He's added layers to his game in terms of, you know, playmaking. Uh, but right now uh, the, the floor is so spread around the NBA that it just plays right to his strengths. Because if you can get to the rim and you can finish in the paint and you can draw contact, it's, you're just a nightmare matchup for every team out there. It's an interesting comparison because John Morant, even though he's so tiny in Memphis, he's the same way. I mean, if you can't keep him out of the paint and he can get to the front of the rim and he can score on you, it's just going to be a layup parade or a dunk parade kind of all night long. And that was what it was for Zion before he got injured. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. They're huge, very, very efficient as a scorer. Uh, you know, he started to, I think, settle in a little bit this season, you know, no longer feeling the burden of expectations where last year he's just on the sideline feeling like he's letting people down maybe a little bit because he's not out there healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just looks so comfortable, so happy. He's got that magnetic smile. And I feel like anytime that smile comes out, uh, you know, things are on the on the right track. And, and that's why this hamstring thing is such a such a shame here recently. And I, I hope to see him back on the court soon. But you know, the, the fans voted him as an all-star starter. I thought during the time he was playing, uh, when he was healthy, that was completely fair. I use a little bit of a different uh, rubric myself when I make my picks. I weigh availability really heavily. So I didn't have uh, Zion, uh, you know, on my starters list because uh, he had missed so much time and, and there wasn't really a certain date in terms of when he was going to return. But anytime you're in your early 20s earning all-star starter nods, kind of competing for all-NBA spots, you know, leading a team, uh, you know, pretty pretty high in the standings. And then once you're injured, they immediately plummet. I mean, that kind of, you know, explains your impact about as clear as you can get it, right? I mean, I think he's, he was, you know, to me, kind of like a, in the 10 to 15 range in terms of best players in the entire NBA when he was healthy earlier this season. And even that might be a little bit conservative. But I'm tough on the young guys. I want them to earn it. <laughs> yeah, it, it is nice to see Zion smile. But, but an interesting thing we've seen this season especially is, is angry Zion. 
And a lot of times uh, you see angry Zion uh, sort of playing extra aggressive because he's not getting the calls he feels like he deserves. Uh, he's a big guy. He's hard to officiate. Uh, I understand uh, it, it. it is tough for refs, but... You know, it, it can be frustrating when he doesn't get to the line, and it seems like, look, we had to deal with it last night. Uh, there's just been ref issues all around the league lately. You've been following LeBron. I saw his Oscar-worthy performance uh, the other night. <laughs> uh, I mean, it brought a tear to my eye. So obviously the, the refs have been having issues lately. Uh, I mean, what do you think is the problem? I mean, why does it seem so glaring uh, as of late? Well, here's the deal. I'm a little bit of a ref defender. Um, I think that they have an incredibly difficult job. Sure. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not just the fact that the players are always screaming for calls and the fans are breathing down their necks during these games <laughs> right. and every single play gets, you know, reviewed in like 4K with all these different angles. But also keep in mind, they have this whole like big brother apparatus where after every single game, they go through all the calls with their bosses and they get these pointers and like, oh, you missed this one. Oh, you got this one right. It's a very, very thorough process, and ultimately it helps those referees to learn and, and probably address where their blind spots are. But imagine how difficult that would be if you had to sit down with your boss and your boss's boss after every single podcast, and the guy said, hey, <laughs> guess what? You stuttered here. Yeah. Oh, you know, this question actually wasn't that good. Oh, you know, the answer you got on this one wasn't sure. quite that good. You would get in your head, you know? It's not optional, right? They, don't, they can't just be like, hey, uh, you know, Sorry, guys, this is, uh, I'm having a bad day. All these reviews are kind of getting to me. I want to I take a day off. It's a really challenging job, not only from a physical standpoint of running up and down the court, being able to see all the calls, deal with the difficult personalities, but also mentally in terms of dealing with all the scrutiny from you know, inside the league but also outside the league. So I tend to not harp on the officiating too much. I do think that, you know, Darvin Ham made an interesting point. He was suggesting maybe bring on a fourth referee for these games because the games have gotten so fast in recent years and that the pace is something that's causing some of these issues. And Zion is so quick with that first step. And, you know, he's so powerful. And, you know, it's just something different. You know, even for referees, there's going to be an adjustment period dealing with a player like that. And I I don't know if a fourth referee is the best solution because now all of a sudden you've just got so many guys out there. Maybe you're making a call every single play, and and you don't want that. You obviously want to have a good flow to the game. But I think the pace of play absolutely is a factor in some of these missed calls. You know, Ben – you, I, I've actually been accused of being a ref defender at times as well because I feel like ref defender, <laughs> as, Joe, as Joe just accused me of just now. But I, I do feel like I mean we have to always take a step back and realize that that job is so difficult. It's not a job I would want, and I think you laid out a, a lot of the reasons why it's a little bit overboard with people c- criticizing them for different things. I mean, the the Boston call with LeBron was so blatant. I think that was one of the things that people jumped on, but. Honestly, I think a reasonable person like myself understands that they're going to make mistakes, and sometimes even in a situation like that, they're going to screw up and it's going to be something that costs the game. My issue really was more the tweet that they put out where they were basically sending like a love letter apology to the Lakers and LeBron, and they talked about how they were going to have restless nights. And it's funny, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but the last, even just the last night there were multiple games where players who had calls that went against their team used the phrase restless nights. That was something that Larry right. Nance mentioned. And I think uh, Tyrese Halliburton mentioned something about that as well. Um, that was my issue really was more, I, I don't understand what the, the thought process was behind sending out that tweet because so many people across the league 
we're going to see it, including the players, and be like, they they make mistakes all the time. We accept that. It's part of the game. But why just that incident did they put out a tweet saying, like, you know, that was the mistake that's going to make us – That's going to be excruciating towards us. You know what I mean? Well, no, I, I hear you. So l- let me uh, try to explain it from their standpoint. So first of all, that's coming from the referees union, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, like most unions, they're trying to protect their individual members. And so they're seeing like, you know, this referee getting approached by Patrick Beverly with the camera. They're seeing mm-hmm. another referee. Oh, he's standing right there on the baseline. How does he, you know, he's looking right at the call. How does he miss that foul on LeBron? And they're kind of getting into Papa Bear and Mama Bear mode of like, we want to protect our sure. whole group, right? Mm-hmm. So how can we kind of make this uh, a situation where we're accountable, admitting that they missed the call, but also trying to protect their individual members? Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, the only thing I would say about the tweet, when they say restless nights, they mean it. The referees sure. are so serious about their jobs. And, and even though that tweet was very easy to mock and like, it seems kind of melodramatic when I was reading it, I was like, wow, I can't even believe they kind of wrote this. Right. But let me just yeah. tell everybody out there, they mean it 100%. Oh, right? Like don't. if they blow a call like that, they're going home and like, they can't sleep and that's how sure. much they care about their job. And the only thing I would say is we want referees who care that much because mm-hmm. imagine if you blow a call like that, you just go straight to bed and it's like, no problem. It's like, well, right. obviously this guy doesn't care about his job sure. and think about how bad the officiating standard would be if they didn't care. And so um, your, your point on why that one versus others, I think it basically boils down to it was LeBron. It was Saturday night. 5 million people were watching on ABC. It's Lakers Celtics. And so that's a really big stage and they felt bad compared to a, a game that maybe doesn't have as many viewers, but I think what you're demanding is basically have a consistent standard, right? Mm -hmm. Like not only just call it the same on the court, but treat every blown call that could affect a game the same way. Don't just put Mm -hmm. out a tweet for one of them and and forget about all the others. And I think that's completely fair because that's what everybody wants from the the refs, right? Is Mm -hmm. a a consistent whistle on and off the court. And I I totally hear you on that. What you said at the very end is so true in terms of, you know, you mentioned there's 5 million people watching. It's kind of the marquee broadcast of all of the national games, the Saturday night that's on ABC. But I, I think from a player standpoint, you know, as I'm, as we've already seen, he, you're, you're totally right. And I'm not disagreeing with you at all whatsoever, but I think the players are like, every game should be treated equally. It shouldn't be treated as like, okay, yeah. this is more important because it's, the Lakers or this specific situation. So I, I get it. I mean, the part that you mentioned is a good point about them trying, trying to protect their union members, but it just opens them up for other criticism. And I, I mean, this is a whole other discussion that we don't have time for probably today on the podcast, but I just feel like chasing like social media a lot of times is just a losing battle. Like if you see a lot of criticism and you try to defend yourself, it just makes it even more difficult because people come at you for other things and as I'm doing right now literally by saying like that them putting out that tweet just created more issues that didn't need to be there but no I, I'm I'm with you I'm we're gonna have you and I are gonna have a ref defenders union that we put together so we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll put we'll get that in the works after Not we could be a lot of people today. fighting for membership into that union <laughs> I bet of the sports fans yeah. at the sports bar <laughs> uh you know speaking of you know bad calls and stuff uh look we're happy to see Zion in the all-star game and I understand uh, your trepidation about maybe why you would put him in the All Star game availability is a huge thing, but unfortunately, it's not just Zion. It's been a it's been a thing across the league uh, with people not being available. So it's it's kind of hard to say. Uh, I mean, you wrote you had a few tweets that were that were very interesting uh, about your top snubs in the East and West. 
you know, that, that you thought should have made it to the All-Star game. Who do you think, you know, to, who tops your list that, that, that really sticks in your craw that they think should have been a starter this year? Yeah, so let me just be clear with those tweets. I'm just saying here are the best guys who didn't make it. I didn't think all these guys yeah. were, you know, completely sure. subbed. I'll mm-hmm. tell you the guys who I was most surprised by. Um, Jimmy Butler, uh, I would say Pascal Siakam, James Harden um, in the Eastern Conference. In the West, um, you know, I think the most deserving guy who didn't get in was De'Aaron Fox. Uh, I think, you know, just Mm -hmm. I was so confused that they included Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, that was the one, the the weirdest one to me. Um, I actually wrote a nice long feature profile of Jaron his rookie year. And so I've always really been enamored with his game. He, He clearly has a big defensive impact, but like Zion, like Anthony Davis, like a lot of these other guys, he's had, you know, injury issues this season. Uh, and, you know, to me, his numbers maybe don't stack up to a lot of the guys who, who did get snubbed. So I, that was one I would circle, um, you know, as being the most confused by. But I was mostly surprised in the East that, you know, those veterans, you know, Jimmy, James Harden, uh, Pascal Siakam, guys who have been there before typically are respected by the coaches. You know, maybe James Harden cost him some respect points, uh, you know, these last couple of years, pushing his way out of Houston, sure. pushing his way out of mm-hmm. Brooklyn. But, you know, typically those guys, you know, the, the coaches take care of them. And for, you know, a player like DeMar DeRozan on a pretty bad Chicago Bulls team to get in um, was surprising. But, you know, frankly, I was just glad that Halliburton got in. You know, I, I want these deserving first-timers to be able to crack, uh, you know, the, the all-star rosters. I don't want this to just turn into every single veteran gets to go, you know, lifetime mm-hmm. pass. Yeah. Uh, and so to see him grab a spot, you know, maybe over Harden, to me that was warranted. I think he's had a better overall year than James Harden. Uh, so I didn't have too many beefs with this year's uh, this year's list, but Jaron was probably the the one that had me raising my eyebrows the most. Uh, it was just an interesting list, and I think everyone's of course got an opinion on it right now. Uh, ben, thanks so much for joining the Pelicans podcast. A uh, great insight into the team. I think Pelicans fans needed to hear an outsider's opinion uh, that that's a little uh, hopeful uh, when it's not just locals saying, "Hey guys, we're going to pull out of it." Uh, so that that makes us take heart. Ben, thanks again for joining the podcast, man. Oh, for sure. My last message to Pelicans fans would be the Warriors were expected to win the West. The Jazz were expected to be the worst team in the West, and they have darn near the exact same record. Right? Yeah, right? yeah, that's a good so point. It's like, it's, mm-hmm. That's the way this season has gone. Everybody's right there in that morass. The Pelicans are right there next to them. So uh, the story has not yet been written. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, ben. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Big thanks to Ben Golliver. Uh, check him out at Ben Golliver on Twitter. Interesting insight there. You know, I, I, I got to say, uh, you know, as, as a dad who doesn't sleep, as, a, as, a, as an anxious person, I, I got to sympathize with the restless nights of those refs. Yes, it's been very sleepless. It's been tossing and turning. Oh. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately the, what happened in the end of the Dallas game was another example of that, of some insomnia kicking in. But, yeah. uh, but you know, what can we do? We're going to have to move forward and, and get ready for this last part of the season. It, it was yeah. a loss last night, and the uh, Lakers at Boston was a loss. And there's nothing in the standings that says, well, you have 26 losses, but three of them were because – of bad calls. It's it, yeah, that, yeah. It is what it is. It's or it was a squeaker. Yeah. yeah you could have gotten it right now. Uh, and look, I'm not trying to bag on the refs too much. Uh, if, if Patrick Beverly ran up to me with a camera showing how bad uh, I was at my job, I would have a panic attack on national TV in front of everyone on a basketball court. Uh, but that said, it just made me, it made me grit my teeth so hard. I thought they were going to shatter in my gums. Uh, when I was seeing that that two minute report last night, because I was just like, "Good, ah, oh, good." Well, that do you think that's a band aid? Do you think that's a band aid on my boo boo? You just nah. poured salt in it right mm-hmm. now. I don't want to hear from you. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I'm over it. Is is what I'm saying, uh, Jim? Uh, you know, it, Luca. It, it we went without saying it, uh, but but it was, it was almost lost in the shuffle there. Luca left that game. That's why they looked so bad down the stretch mm-hmm. uh, with that heel injury. Uh, not sure what the extent of that is going to be, but you know, as as Ben said, and as we've talked about before, the the West is bunched up. That's the only reason to, that that keeps me sort of hopeful in this stretch is that you know what the difference between being you know fourth, fifth, eighth, ninth, tenth it's it's not all that different. Uh, so you look at that injury, and and of course Dallas is going to be in that hunt along with us, uh, right as we're sort of starting to get healthy. Uh, it, it could get interesting down the stretch, yeah, man. Yeah, and as as Ben mentioned, just how tight the standings are. I think what, I mean, it's a small sample. It was a quarter and a half that the Mavericks played without Luka. Yeah. But what they showed in that small amount of time was, man, they're in trouble if they don't have him on the court. They almost blew a 30-point lead without him. So we'll have to see what the diagnosis for him going forward is. But I think they, not, not that anyone's really shocked by this, but I mean, they're in big trouble if they don't have him. They've lost a yeah. bunch of games when he hasn't played. I think he's mostly sat out or all maybe all or most of the back-to-backs he hasn't played in this year for them. So um, that's key. But, you know, I mean, to me, from a Pelican standpoint, this is a four-game homestand that they're starting this weekend with a back-to-back. And even though, you know, we've talked about and many other people have said, you know, maybe the, the season will be decided when Zion comes back in the second half of the season or hopefully he comes back a little bit before then. But yeah. to me, I think – it's possible that we could look back at this four-game homestand later in the year, maybe we're talking March, April, after the season's over, and see this, whether it's good or bad, as something that also could be a turning point for the team. I mean, to me, this is a huge opportunity Saturday playing the Lakers, which is one of the three teams that are right behind you 
in the standings, Portland and OKC. As if we needed any more reason for this to feel like a rivalry game. Right. Now they're nipping at our heels. Mm -hmm. So it it adds an extra layer to that soup. It really does. And I mean, we've talked about for, I don't know, multiple weeks now going back how, you know, you need to win games so you don't drop spots. And it was one thing to say that when they were in third place or fourth place and you say, oh, you drop a spot or two. It's not great. You got to keep winning. But I mean, now they're in 10th place. So it's like, it's really a a much more evident situation and very tangible that they need to win Saturday to stay in the top 10, which as we all know, you need to be 10th place at the very worst to be in the play-in tournament. So, I mean, they have, they still have three more games against the Lakers total. They still have three games against Sacramento who they play on Sunday. Um, So that's six of the 30, what is it? 29 games left in the regular season. Yeah. So, I mean, it's getting down to crunch time now. Down to the needy greedy. Even, even though, like I said, you know, it's easy to, to take kind of table this and be like, ah, eh, the second half, they'll take care of things. Yeah. I think the urgency to me has really kicked in right now that there's six games left before the all-star break. There's 29 left in the season. And this four game homestand could end up being really crucial if they're able to get back to winning and win three out of four or sweep all of them. I mean, they're going to be in so much better position and the feeling around here will be so much better going into the all-star break. I just feel like it's, it's extra jarring because for a while, you know, the Pelicans were losing, but so was everyone else in the West Mm -hmm. that the Pelicans were able to sit third for quite a, uh, quite a bit there. And it was easy to sort of uh, not feel complacent, but you felt all right for a bit, but then going from third precipitously, all the way down to 10 super quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what makes it uh, extra. It's, it gives it an extra sense of urgency for mm-hmm. people and and hopefully for the Pelicans themselves. You know, you got to right this ship. There's Willie Green can only give so many press conferences where he, you know, we're doing the right thing. He's just got to keep chipping away. But mm-hmm. he can only do that so many times. Uh, so hopefully uh, this game is where the – to your to your point is where the hinge point begins because yeah Sacramento Kings Lakers it's just going to be super important to take these games and I cannot think of one that would feel better than to take against the Lakers so let's hope that situation is a fun one Jim whew, ten down but you know what uh, I'm still hanging in there my pom poms a little ratty looking. Uh, from getting shaken alone, right? But uh, I yeah. still got it, man. Still got it. This is a big weekend, Joe. And, and normally, I think I would sound completely insane by saying this: that one night could drastically change things when you have a ten game. That's like a graph statement, right there. But, but I, I, I do think that one game, one result Saturday could really completely turn the momentum in the course of the season around. Yes. I mean, you. The, the arena is going to be packed. Hopefully the percentage of Lakers fans is going to be really low. By the way, I've seen several people tweeting to me or around me that it's going to be half Lakers fans, which I don't, don't. When's the last time you were in the smoothie King insane. center? Yeah. Then. That's people that haven't been there in like yeah. four years or whatever. So there's no way that's going to be the case. No. There will be, you know, a good share of people in Lakers jerseys or LeBron's jer- LeBron jerseys. More there. than usual, I would say. Compared but like to that, recent years. Compared to usual. like, yeah. especially yeah. compared to this season more than mm-hmm. usual, but mm-hmm. only because of what's what he's he's got going in his right. season. Uh, they'll be switching it out for another jersey soon. Uh, I'm not worried about those people. They're not going to be rooting against the Pelicans. Uh, they will come and go like feathers in the wind. Uh, speaking of feathers in the wind, Jim Eichenhofer, uh, thanks as always for, for guiding this old dog along. And a uh, big thanks to Ben Golliver. 
Washington Post writer. Big thanks to you. Continue telling people. Bang the drum. Hey, if you listen to the Pelicans podcast, hey, you know the official Pelicans podcast of the team? Yeah, yeah, they don't uh, endlessly just say ads, and, and uh, it's not just two dudes in a, in a garage just, you know, drinking uh, things out of it. Yes, the official Pelicans podcast. It's everywhere. Uh, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. We're everywhere, baby. Uh, speaking of men who are everywhere, Jim Eichenhofer will be there in the arena as we face the Lakers. Get ready to see him punching stuff. I can't wait to be there myself. We look forward to seeing you. And until Monday, when we will speak to you again, go Pelicans. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. Join us three times per week on Pelicans.com, the Pelicans mobile app, or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you next time right here on the New Orleans Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. Yeah, here we go. There you go. Didn't even hit the first quarter buzzer yet. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 